people just really fell in love with how they made them feel. And the most consistent question we got was, how do I recreate this at home? I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we sit down with Hannah Mendoza, who is the CEO and co-founder of Clever Blends. Hannah, welcome to the show. Hi, so happy to be here. Awesome. Well, you know, really want to dive into the story of what, you know, inspired you to build Clever and the journey you've been on. You started this journey about seven years ago. What was really the inspiration behind find, founding the brand when you started off? So I have had a really longstanding love and, and passion for the CPG industry. I started working in CPG while I was still in college and ended up being the first employee at this really incredible brand who was sourcing direct trade superfoods and herbs from farmers that were using regenerative and permaculture informed practices. So that's where I cut my teeth. And when I was working there, actually, <laughs> this is where the idea for, for Clever came from. I was drinking regular coffee. I was going to a coffee shop for a latte or a cappuccino and Loved the energy that gave me, but also noticed how it definitely kickstarted my anxiety and it felt like a 50-50 crapshoot, whether I was going to feel superhuman or more of an overstimulated mess. And at the office, we had access to kind of every powder, herb, adaptogen under the sun, as you can imagine, working with a company like that. And we'd make these morning latte drink concoctions with 10 different ingredients and we share them as a team. And I noticed a pretty immediate difference in my mood, my stress levels, my sleep compared to the coffee habit that I had before. So that was a light bulb moment for me. And at the same time, my now co-founder Raj had a, his own similar moment where he started getting into using functional ingredients and adaptions to help naturally deal with anxiety after someone in his family passed away. And that was really helpful for him. We ended up having a lot of conversations about this and how impactful it had been for us and both wanted to take a break from our careers and we ended up teaming up and we started this alternative coffee bar. And that was what was happening about six years ago. It was this mobile bar that we built ourselves by hand, shoved it in the back of a van and we ended up driving around the country with it. It's a very kind of, you know, early 20s, fun, passion project that, you know, we didn't really know what it was going to turn into, but we'd make these creative takes on traditional coffee shop drinks. So we'd use different mushrooms and herbs and adaptogens to help with, you know, energy and stress and sleep. And people just really fell in love with how they made them feel. And the most consistent question we got was, how do I recreate this at home? And as you can imagine, it's incredibly unapproachable to make a 12-ingredient beverage in the morning. Um, for most people on earth. And so we came to the sticking point where we knew that what we were making had value, but knew it was very unapproachable. So my co-founder Raj challenged me and said, if you can make a just add water instant drink that has the same taste and quality as something we'd serve at this coffee bar, we'll do this thing and you know we'll we'll create a product and we'll go out there and we'll go to market. And it was this really interesting project where we looked at the instant drink space specifically and just it had so much opportunity for such a kind of culturally salient <laughs> hyper convenient category but the quality standard was was so low and it felt like it was almost stuck in the 80s as as a category so I ended up spending a year 
formulating the best you know, instant drink that I <laughs> that we'd ever tried and using better than coffee shop ingredients and really kind of pushing the bar really high on taste and texture and came to something that we loved and then we ended up launching it in 2019. So that was that was the initial inspiration. So take me through when you think about that journey, that year you spent kind of making the instant drink, making something that works in your own kitchen is, you know, not easy, but it's a little bit more straightforward. Mm-hmm. Making something that is shelf stable, can be packaged in a bag, can be produced at a co-packer, that's a lot more complicated. So where'd you go on your journey to kind of learn and figure out that out over the course of that year? I mean, firstly, I have to say that I think the naivety around commercialization actually worked to our advantage in a strange way. So I think that designing a product with taste and enjoyment and quality in mind, as opposed to approaching it from a commercialization angle, helped us create something that really resonated with customers. And luckily, it was also able to be commercialized. Um, I can see a situation where that didn't happen, but but it what we were able to commercialize it. But I think there was, you know, even to this day, we've never worked with a product formulation company or anyone else. We never outsourced that because I really believe that kind of starting in your own home kitchen use case is the best way to get something that's really going to resonate with people. But we did have to commercialize it. And for us, that just took a lot of phone calls to people that knew more than us. We really relied on kind of an extended network that we didn't already have, but we ended up having to build in order to figure out how do we get from you know, idea to reality with this. And again, kind of in a, in a moment of naivety, but this was what we knew how to do at the time. We ended up actually making the product ourselves for quite some time, the first year and a half. So we were in the kitchen day in, day out. You know, we would actually we'd work on the on the digital side of things during the day. We'd go into a commercial kitchen at nighttime that we shared. We would make the product at night. And on weekends, we would go and do events and bring the product out and get real-time feedback from customers. So we didn't even have to deal with a co-packer because we took on the much more difficult task of making everything ourselves. So you mentioned kind of doing it yourself, going into a commercial kitchen. Sometimes it's tough for people to make that leap from a a great local brand that people are buying and experiencing to this can be a growth brand, something that can be sold online and can be sold nationwide and worldwide. What gave you that confidence to kind of make that leap when maybe some others in the commercial kitchen were focused on the local, you know, craft market or something else of that nature? It was really getting to have face-to-face interaction with a large amount of people experiencing the product for the first time that helped us realize there was a really strong resonance with customers. And I think if the reception had been lukewarm, we wouldn't have had the confidence to then think bigger. But because we didn't pursue traditional marketing channels at the beginning because we didn't have the budget, we did actually have to get out and do events and have people try the product. And that reaction was what really gave us the confidence to do that. And also, I think it's it's an appetite for risk piece. And you know, we were at a time in both of our lives where our appetite for risk was high and we, we didn't mind making the leap. And I think that that's, we were right to do so. <laughs> Without a doubt. 
So you mentioned that both of you were kind of inspired by your personal experience with adaptogens. And since you launched Clever, adaptogens have grown in popularity, but also have started to, let's say, be misused by some brands that are sprinkling them in without really understanding the ingredient. How do you keep educating consumers on the benefits, the why they should take it, how you combine, and really making a more informed consumer while others are more focused on the buzzworthiness of the ingredients? Definitely resonate with that take. You know, adaptogens are becoming more mainstream. And I, I remember walking the aisles at Erewhon and seeing adaptogens and everything from donuts to mac and cheese. And I mean, firstly, not to be overly critical of that, because I think it does have its value. It's a great way to get people familiar and curious about these ingredients. However, it's not, it's not appropriate to promise that you're going to feel benefits that way, unless they're A, in functional doses, and B, you're consuming something like that mac and cheese every day. And then that's another issue. So <laughs> I think for us, the best way that we can make sure that people are using these ingredients in ways that will actually benefit them is to create products that are really ingrained into pre-existing habits. And that's really one of the biggest reasons that coffee and tea stuck out to us. I think we're, we're in a moment where it can be so overwhelming. We're so overwhelmed with different ways to optimize our lives. There's vitamins, there's supplements, there's diet, there's skincare, and it's very easy for people to pick up new habits, but it's very hard to stick to them, um, especially if that requires a behavior change. And so we're really committed to approachable products that are an extension of people's pre-existing routines and also that don't require people to sacrifice. I think that's why we focus so much on taste and texture, because if a routine change requires sacrifice, it's much less likely to be kept. So I think us alongside other really incredible brands in our space that are kind of working with these pre-existing routines that people have. I think the goal is to really use that momentum to be a driving force for these ingredients being a larger part of mainstream consumption, more embedded in the cultural zeitgeist. And, you know, we're in a moment where people are looking harder than ever at how they feel in their bodies and minds. And we're living in a high stress, high speed environment. So you know, that's the bigger vision here. And the way that we get that is, yes, us kind of pushing that forward through through our way of doing it and also other brands pushing it forward with their kind of unique ways of doing that too. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. You mentioned that uh, both coffee and tea. So as you've launched Clever, you've expanded your uh, flavors that you've had in the, the lattes, but you've also introduced new products like your super tea. How have you approached your innovation strategy, both of new forms, but also new flavors? The biggest piece for us is listening to customers. So when we think about where we're going and what our roadmap looks like, 
it's very easy for me as a founder and someone that is, you know, still running our product dev and all of our formulation to get very caught up in what I think we should be making and all my fun ideas for, you know, the list of a hundred things that I would love to see us create. And I've had to really temper myself and consistently come back to the foundation of our direction as a brand, which is how can we be of service to the people who have also invested in us? And that means consistently asking them, what do your days look like? Where are the gaps? Where are the things you need help with? And can we make a product that's designed around that? So that's how we ended up, you know, we started with making matcha and chai and coffee in these coffee shop analogous flavors. And then sleep was something we brought out last year. And our hydration product, the super tea, was something that we brought out this year. The reason we made those is because people asked for them. And I think that's the guiding principle of everything that we do. So, you know, as a small business owner, what challenges have you faced over the years as you launched this product, you saw this initial traction, you saw you had something? What did you have to overcome? What were those big challenges you had to kind of confront early on? There were many. <laughs> um, at the beginning, the biggest theme that comes up upon reflection is we really tried to do everything ourselves for too long and to do everything perfectly. And it just slowed us down. So, I mean, as an example, it took us six months to design our packaging. We worked on our website for 10 months because we were doing it all ourselves and we were so close to what we were doing that we couldn't pull out and see that we were being too detail-oriented, too perfectionist, and we weren't okay with just putting you know, an MVP out there. It's very hard to do that when your passion makes you a perfectionist. And so if I could look back, I would try and instill a bit more of a you know, move fast and break things mentality. And also that there's no prizes for doing everything yourself. I think we should have invested in building a team a lot earlier to give us more bandwidth as opposed to just relying on longer days, later hours, and kind of more grit and hustle we actually would have got to where we wanted to be faster if we'd have just put the right people in place at the beginning. So that was definitely a challenge was kind of those initial first time founder misses or being a little myopic. And there were lots of, lots of learnings. I think other, other things maybe a little bit later on that's more come up in the last two years or so is I think learning the hard way that we can't do everything everywhere all at once. Um, Again, you know, the dream is really big. The list is very long of new products and content and channels and campaigns that help you get closer to that dream. And again, being so passionate about all of those, I think we made, the, the challenge was we tried to pursue everything right now as fast as we could. And it turns out that's impossible and inherently kind of set us up and our team up for failure that way. And since then, I've really realized that, you know, more isn't necessarily better. Learning how to say no to ideas and opportunities and do fewer things, you know, but do them bigger. That's been one of the biggest unlocks for, for me and for our team over the last year or so. So that one feels, yeah, that feels very salient. And then I think the, the last one that comes up is after year one or so, when you start getting a little bit more sophisticated with how we were assessing what was working and what wasn't in the business, I found that we would sometimes overlook business fundamentals. So 
I guess an example of that would be, we're saying we want to improve retention amongst customers. And we would go so deep into setting up this elaborate A-B testing email flow and creating another elaborate subscription incentive program and forget to take a step back and say, what's going on with customer service? How long is it taking someone to get the help they need? And you know, what about product quality? When was the last time we asked customers if there was anything we could improve? And just remembering to take a step back and look at business fundamentals has also been a really good learning for us. So when you think about where the world of CPG has kind of changed over the last decade, you know, we've gone from a time period where it was very tough for a young entrepreneur to raise really any funding for consumer products to everything wanting to disrupt a category to now the the weirdness that we've been over the last year. You know, as you look at if you were in the shoes of a young entrepreneur today uh, approaching building a CPG brand, what do you think they should be doing? How should they be approaching the marketplace? I think being really clear and confident about what your differentiator is at the beginning and making sure that you're not the only one that sees that and that other people, be those advisors, be those potential customers, also see that too. I think is going to save a lot of time in the long run. So spending a lot of time validating your concept, talking to people, it's so easy to get swept up in the excitement of an idea. And I think that the pre-work that you do will save a lot of time in the long run to decide, you know, is this the thing I really want to pursue or is this the right way to pursue this product or this concept? We have access to so much information at our fingertips and think really using that and not getting swept away in the excitement is important. And then on a similar note, with this journey, there's again, no prizes in rewriting the entire playbook from the ground up. That flow will slow you down. And so joining an industry Slack channel, cold messaging people on LinkedIn, don't, you know, really resourcing yourself with the kindness of others, because most people really get a kick out of helping you. Doing that early on is the best way and most efficient way to learn very quickly. And then I think the other thing is around competition. I mean, to your point about CPG, it's we've gone through so many transitions over the past couple of years, but this industry is fast moving. It's very kind of sexy and attractive for people to want to get into. And there's hundreds of new products each month. And being in the mindset of not getting obsessive about other people in the space and kind of knowing what your unique differentiator is, keeping your head down, and also understanding that it's not, I don't think that CPG, CPG is a winner-takes-all category. I think the tech mentality can make people think that, but ultimately there can be a lot of, you know, there can be more than one winner in these categories. And it's not a zero-sum game, especially when you're talking about disruptive categories. You know, if you... If you're creating a really disruptive product and then more products that are also trying to disrupt that space come in and the market gets 10% bigger, that is probably going to benefit you. So I think just zooming out and not being obsessive about competition and kind of seeing the rising tide raises all ships mentality is also really important, especially when you're in a space with so many new products. I had a, a really wonderful encounter six months ago or so where I was at an event and saw another founder from a brand that's in a pretty similar space to us, Rasa. And 
just had this urge to go over and tell the founder how much I respected her and appreciated her, given that we all kind of have the same desire for bettering the way people feel in their bodies and minds. And we're both working to that in slightly different ways, but we are in the same space. And we ended up becoming friends, grabbing a three-hour dinner with each other, sharing so much about what it was like to build a business, sharing tips. And it just, I do think in CPG, there's such an amazing opportunity to create a collaborative environment like that, as opposed to a winner-takes-all hyper-competitive environment. And so, yeah, it'll make the journey a lot more fun too. So when you look at all those, you know, as, as you mentioned, hundreds of new brands popping up, it's sometimes people are launching those because they see a white space and a market opportunity. Other times they're launching it more like you did out of a personal passion and really wanting to scratch an itch. How much of your success do you think was part of you just being in love with spreading the message about adaptogens and the, the personal story versus the white space that you saw? I think it was very much the personal route for us because frankly, I was young when we started Clever and I, you know, at the age that I was, I wasn't even in a space where I was thinking strategically and commercially enough to be identifying a white space in that direct of a way. I think intuitively we felt like there's something missing and we can provide that, but the way we got there was deeply personal. And I think that, deeply personal journey with the product has really led to some of our success because we've been, I can see a reality where we rolled back the clock five years, thought of, saw this white space, raised a ton of money, hired a product development company, hired a co-man and been much more removed from what people's experience with Clever, the product and the brand actually ended up being. I think building everything in an intimate and personal way from scratch, it's not the right path for everyone, but for us being that close to what we were doing actually really helped create authenticity in the brand that customers can feel and resonate with that we just wouldn't have got from more of a white space angle. So as you look at uh, the next year, what's next for Clever? So we are growing our team, which is really exciting. It's about time. <laughs> we've been we've been doing this very scrappily for a long time. And so I'm really excited to have some incredible people coming on board. We have some retail expansion coming up. We're working always on more ways to engage with our community. We're trying to choose between a hundred different new product ideas that are kind of competing for space in our R and D room. We're also launching a really exciting project more on the kind of mission driven end of what we do, which is a food systems resiliency fund. So it's in collaboration with um, a local nonprofit, SB Fan here, but it's a food justice nonprofit, local Santa Barbara. Um, and we're launching a, a grant program with them for anyone working on a project in the food justice, food sovereignty, or agroecology space. So I'm really excited about that too, kind of more on the internal impact end of things. So I think it's going to be a really interesting year coming up. I love that. So very fun. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, sit down and tell us a little bit more about your journey. Yeah, thank you so much. That was so much fun. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.